Colossians chapter 3, so the message is entitled, Seeking Christ in the Midst of Crisis. And uh, again, I want to just encourage us today uh, of what's ahead of us as an opportunity to minister in Jesus' name. Uh, The book of Colossians, if you're not familiar, uh, one of Paul's epistles, uh, in the book of Colossians, it actually references the city of Laodicea five different times. As a matter of fact, Paul gives instruction to the believers at Colossae, look, when this epistle, Colossians 4 and verse 16, you don't have to turn there, but just listen, Paul instructs the believers at Colossae, when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And so, and so Paul just wanted to make sure that this epistle of Colossians was taken to and read to the church of the Laodiceans. Now, the reason that's important is because when you get into the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus Christ himself has John the Apostle write to seven different churches. And those seven different churches were real churches in John's day. They were real real churches that existed with real congregations just like this. And the last church that he wrote to, the Lord Jesus Christ himself wrote to, was the church of the Laodiceans. And, and we understand, because we, we are students of the Bible, that not only historically were all seven of those churches real churches, but all seven of those churches represent the entire church age, from, from the book of Acts to the rapture of the church. In other words, this dispensation of grace, the time of the church that we live in, is really mirrored through those seven churches, the last of which is the church of the Laodiceans. And, and oh, by the way, when you read Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, there's a door in heaven that opens, and John, the apostle John, is, he hears the words, come up hither, and he's caught up, the Bible says. And so that is a, a type or foreshadowing of the rapture of the church. And so the reason that, that I felt like this morning we need to spend some time in Colossians is because it is the epistle specifically written to the churches for the last days. It's important. If you were to walk out of here and say, man, what is the one book that I could go to to learn how to be a minister for Jesus Christ in these last days of the church, right before the rapture of the church, when the world kind of is losing its mind? And by the way, it was losing its mind before this week. The book that you would want to go to is the book of Colossians. And so this morning, I want to just encourage us from a portion of the book. We we don't have time to teach the whole book this morning, Uh, but we'll be in chapter three and we're going to look at 17 verses and and just, we're going to just hit a really basic outline from this book that deals with ministry in the last days and how to have the right perspective and the right motivation and the right mindset when the world seems like it's falling apart. And and that's what we need. And so if you will, uh, Colossians chapter three, let me just read The text, verse 1 says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. 
in the which ye also walked in some time when ye lived in them. But now put ye also, excuse me, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you've been put off, ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Uh, this morning, I, I just want to encourage you that in the midst of crisis, we need to seek Christ. And, and so I'm going to give you nine points very quickly. Number one, in this crisis that we're in, God's Word would have the church, the body of Christ, number one, to remember to seek the highest things. Seek the highest things. And, and if you will, just look back at verse one. The, the, the word if is the first word. And and the word if is a conditional statement, right? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a condition. If ye then be risen with Christ. Is that, is that anybody in the house? Have you been born again, man? Listen, are you risen with Jesus Christ? Okay, if you are, this is directly to you. If you are risen with Christ. In other words, if you're an unbeliever today or, or Paul's audience, as this epistle is being read and somebody's an unbeliever in the crowd, this doesn't apply to them. But if you've been risen with Christ, you're born again, this applies to you. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. And I'm not talking about the top shelf at the grocery store. Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Written to saved people. Written to doctrinally people that are going to be living in the last days. God says, make sure you have the right perspective Seek the highest things. This week, there's been a lot of people searching for a lot of different things. Man, listen, looking for food, and I get it. Looking for TP, looking for hand sanitizer, looking for assurance, looking for comfort, looking for safety, looking for health. They're looking for everything. And yet, God's Word tells us that the things that we truly need to be seeking are the things that are above you got to ask the question, what are the things that are above that God would have us to seek? And, and the list is at least seven things. Number one, and these aren't on the, on the screen or in your notes, but, but listen, the Bible tells us in Galatians 4 and verse 26 that New Jerusalem is above. New Jerusalem is above. That, that, that city, by the way, will come down in the book of Revelation. But that's the city that is above right now. It's New Jerusalem prepared for God's glory and God's kingdom, and, and it is above. There's a city that's above that your heart and mind should be seeking. Number two, the throne of God is above, Revelation chapter 4. Do you know that's where God dwells? I mean, he is in the third heaven. 
He's seated on his throne of glory. Listen, this week didn't un- unmove him or move him from his seat. It didn't, it didn't rattle him. It didn't cause him to, to, to question or be concerned. God and his throne is still above all. And it will be forever. It absolutely will be forever. And listen, we need to seek that diligently. And, and for the saved in the house, seek it. Seek it with all diligence. Number three, do you know that our brothers and sisters in Christ that have departed from this planet already are above? Your saved brethren, your family that know Christ, those that have, have died in this flesh, the Bible says that they are absent from this body. They are present with the Lord. And, and that's where he is. And so that's where they are. And so listen, I don't know about you, but there is a tremendous family reunion that's waiting for every believer in Jesus Christ. And, I, and I, there's got to be something in your heart, especially to know that saved loved ones are with the Lord, that yearns not only to be with the Lord, but to be with them. There has to be something in your heart that yearns to be with the saints of God. That's where they are. They're above Jesus Christ himself. Number four is above. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. Listen, number five, our rewards at the judgment seat of Christ are above. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. <laughs> Listen, that is where our eternal rewards are stored. Not your 401k, not your abundance of toilet paper. Listen, not the, not the stuff that you're hoarding and not letting your neighbor know that you have. The rewards are in heaven. By the way, moth and rust will still corrupt what you have on this earth. But man, our rewards are the judgment seat of Christ. Our loved ones are above. The Old Testament saints are above. And lastly, but certainly not leastly, Psalm 119 verse 89 tells us that the word of God is above. The eternal truth of God's word is forever and ever and ever established in heaven forever. And those are the things that we need to seek. You say, Jay, I'm hearing what you're saying today, but have you not read the news? (laughs) I mean, did you not spend eight hours yesterday on Facebook like I did? No. (laughs) But even if I did, I know that Matthew chapter six is still in the Bible. And let me read it to you because it needs to, it needs to encourage us. It says, therefore, take no thought. How much thought? No thought. What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewith shall we be clothed? Or what shall we wipe our hiney with? Or, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, the only store I went to yesterday was a coffee store. There was one thing I needed. (laughs) I was taking thought, I'll be honest, all right? What I was worried about was my espresso machine was going to run out of coffee beans. And so I fixed that problem yesterday. Man, listen. God, God, God is telling his disciples, listen, there's, there's things that I know you need, right? Verse 32, for all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. And, and some of us this morning need to claim the promise that God, our heavenly Father, has not fallen asleep, and he knows what we need. He is our heavenly Father, and he is a good, good Father. And, and so his admonition to us in verse 33 He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
the things that you need. Well, those pale in comparison. God, God gives us the, the issue of priority. Well, there's things that we need to seek first, and it's Him and His righteousness. Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall uh, take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the days the evil thereof. The point is this, listen, man, we have a tremendous crisis that, that may not get any better in the next few days or weeks. The truth is, it doesn't matter. We need to have a right perspective. We need to seek the things above, which leads to the second point. And the the verse 2 kind of continues the thought, but I do want you to see that there is a difference. Verse 2, Colossians 3 and verse 2 says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So so when you seek something, that's with your, your mind and with your eyes, if you will. You're looking for something. You're seeking something. But listen, setting your affection on something, well, that has to do with your heart. It's different than your eyes. It's different than your mind. It is your your heart, not your head. And so God tells us that our heart still, not only should we seek the things of God, but our affection should be toward the very things of God, the things that are above, not the things, and he's very specific, not the things on the earth, not the things on the earth. And so this morning, again, we want to have the right mindset, but we want to have the right heart set. And can I just tell you, listen, our flesh, this week has been a tremendous week of of realization for many of us because our flesh has affection toward things such as coffee, (laughs) okay, or or comforts or or things that we feel are important. And, And listen, our heart goes after those things. Listen, our heart pursues things on this earth, money, sex, power, popularity, sports, property, Family, education, creature comforts, internet, abundance of food. Listen, all those things, we can have an affection. We can love those things. And Galatians chapter 5 warns us that we that are in Christ, they that are Christ, are you Christ today? In other words, does he own you? Does, has he bought you from your sin? Has he paid the price Listen, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. In other words, our affection, man, we got to keep it focused on the things above, on the things above. This is kind of normal Christianity, but you see, we're hearing it a little bit different today, right? This is just basic discipleship, but... But today, we actually hear it with ears to hear. Number three, from the book of Colossians, verses three to four. Not only are we to seek the things above and to have a heart toward the things above, and we'll get into the practicalities of that in a second, but number three is God wants us to settle the issue of our mortality once and for all. God God wants us to settle the issue of our mortality once and for all, And and I'm I'm not thankful for what the world is experiencing. What I am thankful for is that there are people now more than ever coming to the realization and the possibility, I just might die. Yeah. Actually, 10 out of 10 people do. And so it's glad that you, it's good that you came to the, to the realization that 
you, just like all men, have a standing appointment. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And so, and so this week, more than probably any other week, at least in my experience, there is a frenzy of concern over this issue of mortality. Now listen, this portion of Scripture is written to the believer. And, and what I love from this portion of Scripture in verse 3, there's a tremendous promise, but also a tremendous standing that you as a believer in Christ need to appropriate into your life. You need to reckon and account this truth into your life as a believer. Verse 3, for ye are, you're dead. You're already dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. And so he gives us the assurance, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And I just want you to know that in Christ, positionally, you're already dead. You just didn't realize that until this morning. And actually, the life that you have is actually not even the life that you have. It's Christ's life. And can I just tell you, Christ has already died once for our sin. And friend, he will never die again. That means that the life that is in you as a believer in Christ is eternal. It will never die. You're already dead in Christ. When you made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen, you took his atonement and his payment for your sin You died to yourself and and submitted to the authority and the lordship of of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and you made a transaction. You you know, Ephesians tells us that even in our sin, we were dead in our sins and, and, and trespasses. We were dead as sinners, but then we got saved, and now we're dead in Christ, but it's his life that lives through us. Do you see on either side of that equation, you're still dead? I mean... Either way, but the reality is on this side of salvation, we have the life of Christ that lives in us and lives through us. And so Paul told us in Galatians 2.20, one of the most tremendous verses, I think, in the Bible, I am crucified with Christ. I'm dead. Crucifixion equals death. Nevertheless, I live. Well, how can that be? He, Paul says, listen, it's not me that's really alive, but it's Christ that liveth in me. I mean, listen, I... Paul made the, 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 the most important principle and truth that any believer needs to understand. You are dead in Christ. You are alive in Christ. So if you're alive in Christ, and he will never die again, and he's eternal and will live forever, and he's granted and gifted you his eternal life, well, you really don't have to worry about anything else. There is nothing that you have to worry about. There's nothing that you need to fret over. As a matter of fact, Paul says that the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, we are dead and yet we're alive. This life now is not the life of the flesh, but it is a life of faith. It's the faith of the Son of God. Man, listen, your, your faith is in Christ So you don't have to fear. You have nothing to fear as a child of God. Absolutely 
Nothing. Yeah, but man, what if I get sick? You have nothing to fear. You have nothing. What if I run out of food? You have nothing to fear. You're already dead and Christ is alive in you. It's his life. And he has eternal life. You have nothing to fear. The Bible tells us that our life is hid with Christ in God. And I want to just share some passages that should comfort our minds and our hearts concerning this issue of mortality. Number one, you're already dead. <laughs> so that ought to comfort you. You didn't even know that. I could tell people I pastor a dead church now. <laughs> but I would never do that. I would actually tell people I pastor a living church because they're full of the life of Christ. Amen? You know, Paul, when he, when he wrote the Philippian epistle, and we're going to look at a few verses concerning Paul, Paul had settled this issue in his life. He'd settled this issue in his life. He knew that the life he was living was, was only because of the life of Christ in him. And, and so as much time as God gave him on this earth, he knew that he was to be about the mission that God had for him. And so he says this in Philippians 1 verse 21. I think I emailed this, and Walt and I had a good email exchange about this this week. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. Now, don't get to the rest of it. Just understand that to live is Christ. That's the point. For the believer, this life is all about Jesus. I'm just dead, man. It's all about him. God's going to give me tremendous opportunity and give you tremendous opportunity over the next days, weeks, months, and, and maybe even year. This life is about Christ. And then he goes on and says, and to die is what? Is gain. I mean, I mean, listen, that is not popular. That is countercultural. That is against our humanistic thinking. But Paul had this thing figured out because he understood what the scripture says. He says, if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. You see, you see, we as Laodiceans, and, and we don't have time to go back to Revelation 3 and actually study that church of Laodicea, but Jesus says of that church of Laodicea that that church is rich and increased with goods and has need of what? Nothing. They don't even need the Lord. And Paul was like, you know what? Down here to live is Christ, and anything after that is even better. It's gain. It's far better. It's not just a little better. Like, I, I'm not sure that most Christians understand what Paul just said in Philippians. Most Christians say it's probably going to be a little better, but there's stuff I'm going to miss down here. No, Paul says it's far better. Like, there's not, the coffee will be better, okay? I'm just telling you, <laughs> it absolutely will be better. I'm sure that there were coffee trees in the garden. Well, that's a whole other conversation we'll have later. Listen, the point is, Paul just knew. And he's struggling because his desire is actually to be with the Lord. But verse 24 says, you know what? Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for, for, for those Philippian believers. He actually is just saying, hey, you know what? My heart is really to go be with the Lord. But for you, it's actually needful for you that I'm here. You know why God left you here this week on this planet? Because it's needful for other people for you to be here. 
It's needful for a lost and dying world. It's needful for your neighbor that doesn't know Christ. It's needful for somebody that doesn't have the assurance that you have from the Word of God. It is needful that you are here for the sake of others. And my prayer is that our church doesn't isolate and exclude itself from from the culture and the community. My prayer is that we understand that the Bible teaches us it's needful that we're here because as we're here, we have the opportunity to minister to people. But what if we get sick and die while we're doing that? It's gain. I'm not saying we'd be idiots, but I am saying there's something far better. There's something far better than living, no offense, 50, 60, 70, 80 years and dying then. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. What matters is what the Lord wants to do through us. You know, Paul, Paul, in Acts chapter 20, he said, you know what, there's some things, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and we've studied this passage extensively in Acts 20. Paul had a heart desire to go to Jerusalem because he wanted the Jews to get saved. He wanted the Jews to receive the gospel. And so he's meeting in Acts 20, he's meeting with all the elders from Ephesus, and, uh, and he's just expressing, hey, when I go down there, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. He says, I don't know the things that are going to befall me. My, my future is uncertain. But he does say that wherever I go, God's already told me that I'm going to suffer. <laughs> I'm going to be in bonds and afflictions. But then he says in verse 24, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And here's the point we need to learn from Paul. Paul didn't count his life dear unto himself. He was available to be used in whatever context, in whatever situation, in whatever affliction or bondage that God allowed into his life. And church, that's, that's what we're called to do. I mean, that's, that's why we're here. That's why God has left us on this planet at this time, to quote the book of Esther, for such a time as this. God knew. God knew you were going to be here on this planet right now. When the world's going cray-cray, right? (laughs) To quote the kids. Uh, God knew. And God knew that your life could have an impact for his glory. And that's the point. In 2 Corinthians, you, you read through all the things that Paul suffered. You know, he, 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 he was not a guy, and listen again, I'm not trying to be an idiot, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, socially isolate, I think is, the, is the, the term we're using now. If you're sick, stay home. Okay, listen, of course. If you're running a fever, if you, if you have physical problems, and, and that's a concern, of course, use your, use your common sense, okay? However, as I also look at Paul's life, I see that ministry caused him to suffer. And ministry is, is more important than suffering. I mean, listen, he says, look, look, are they the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, and labor's more abundant, and stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, and deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I was suffered shipwrecked. A day and the night I'd been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city and in the wilderness, 
in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, hunger and thirst. I mean, he didn't make it to Sam's. In fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Oh, oh, and besides those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Man, who's weak and I'm not weak? Who's offended and I'm not? If I must needs glory, I'm going to glory of the things concerning my infirmities. The point is, the point is Paul knew he was just called to the ministry. You say, well, I'm not an apostle. Well, 2 Corinthians 5 says that if you receive the gift of God, the salvation of Jesus Christ, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You are a minister. You may not hold the office of a pastor. You may not be a missionary, but, but you are a minister. And, and so listen, settle the issue of your mortality and go minister. Do you understand me? Church, listen, we have... Would you not rather ride out, man? I mean, listen, if Paul socially isolated himself, well, can you, can you think of how many people wouldn't have got saved? Can you think of how many churches that would not have gotten planted? Can you think of how many epistles God would not have used him to write? Oh, well, God would use somebody else. Well, who? <laughs> you? I mean... The question on the table is who, who wants to be used to God? And, and, and I hope we all do. We've got to settle that issue in our heart. Number four, we've got to hurry. We need to sanctify from the old man. Now more than ever. Uh, you know, we, uh, conversation earlier, and I, this is actually a conversation I've heard several times this week. Well, is God judging the world right now? Is, it, is, this, is this coronavirus thing a, a, a judgment because of sin, because of man, because of whatever? Well, listen... You know, I don't know. I don't know what God's mind is. I mean, we have the Bible. Let's study the Bible. But I do know this. When people are asking that question, it actually drives them to question their own life and say, is there anything unholy in my life that may be contributing to this? Right? I mean, we've all thought that. So, so Colossians tells us there's some things that every believer in Christ should mortify. And I won't exhaust the list. Man, it's lengthy. But these are the things, man. Listen, uh, you know, it goes through the list. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, lying, filthy communication. These are all part of the old man that God saved us from. That's our old sin nature. The world doesn't need to see the church acting like the old man. I think everybody in the room would agree. All eyes are on the church. All eyes are on the church. All eyes are on Christians, whether you realize it or not. Man, everybody's looking at each other, and especially the church, because they're always under, under scrutiny and criticism, right? Everybody's watching. Well, what do you want people to see? You don't want them to see the old man. You don't want them to see the old man. You don't want them to see the old you. I, I text, I think it was heading on Friday, my, my wife had ordered groceries from Walmart pickup. Uh, on Thursday night to pick up on Friday. And, uh, and so they, of course, sent her a notification saying that they were delayed. And then around 5 o'clock, 5.30, I think it was like 5 o'clock, she got the notification, hey, the groceries are ready. And, uh, of course, they're short some things, but the, the notification says the groceries are ready. And so I said, you're not going. I'll, I'll go because, you know, it's going to be crazy. 
And so I, I went home, got the van, drove down there, pulled, you know, there was already a line to get in the pickup spots if you, if you do Walmart pickup. And, uh, and so I had to wait like four or five cars, and then I finally parked, called the number, hey, I'm here to pick up an order for my wife, here's her name, and, uh, and here's the parking spot I'm in. An hour and 45 minutes later, me and Jesus are having a conversation. <laughs> Lord, you said man shall not live by bread alone. <laughs> but by every word. That, okay. And so, man, things are getting a little tense at Walmart, man. People standing outside of their cars, people going up to the door, you know, everybody kind of getting a little antsy. You know what? <laughs> and I think I texted and I was like, Man, I'm thankful I'm a saved man because it'd be real easy to just act like an idiot in this context. It'd just be easy. It'd be easy to let the old man, even as a saved man, it'd be easy to let the old man come back out. And, uh, and I just kept my mouth shut and just was like, all right, Lord, I guess I'm going read to some, read some Bible or listen to a podcast or something while I was there, man. How, how do we sanctify that old man practically, daily? God tells us in Romans 8.13 that we do it through the power of the Spirit. You know, the Spirit of God that, that took up residency in our heart and life is the very thing that can help us mortify the deeds of the flesh. So, so Paul says in Romans 8 verse 13, If ye live after the flesh, ye shall what? Well, you're already dead anyway, so, so don't get there quicker. I mean, don't live after the flesh. But if you live, if, excuse me, if through the Spirit you do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And, and so listen, it's through the power of the Spirit of God, as we walk in the Spirit, the Spirit of God is able to mortify the deeds of our flesh. So can I just tell you, church, it's now time more than ever to walk in the Spirit. That is a commandment, Ephesians chapter 5. Be not drunk with wine, where is in excess? And everybody says, oh yeah, you shouldn't drink and yada yada. And they want to they front end the verse without actually reading the rest of it. Okay, well that is in there. Be not drunk with wine, where in is excess. But be ye filled with the Spirit. That's equally as important of a command. Amen? And we can feel real good about ourselves saying, hey, well at least I don't drink or I don't get drunk or I only drink wine because only wine's in the Bible. Okay, whatever you do. That's not the point today, but we can get real easy on the front end of that verse without getting heavy on the back end to walk in the Spirit. We need to walk in the Spirit. Number two, we do that by the Word of God. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 tells us that the Word of God's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And when there's things in our flesh that need to be mortified, made dead, we have the Spirit of God in us. We have the Word of God that should get in us, and those two things can eliminate any old man that's still creeping up in your life. Do you hear me? Listen, we have to, we have to submit to the Spirit of God and the Word of God, which leads to the next point, number five. We need to shine forth as the new man. Shine forth as the new man. And so, you know, Colossians tells us to put some things off, but then he also tells us to put some things on. And he says, you know, you put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. These are all characteristics of Christ. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. I mean, the guy that got the toilet paper before you, and, and listen, it was the last package. And he didn't know you had Mexican the night before. Okay, well, look. 
As Christ forgave you, forgive him. Do you understand? Listen, let it go, man. Just forgive him. And he tells us above all these things to put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Listen, the world needs to see the new man in Christ. You say, man, if I give my, my toilet paper away or my food away, how am, I gonna, how, am I, how am I going to eat? Did you not read Matthew 6 earlier? God knows what you have need of. He, he already knows that. You seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. And listen, he'll take care of it. He'll absolutely take care of it. Man, God's allowed our church to be here at this time. God's given us the resources that we have, however limited they may be. He's given them to us at this time. And it's time to minister. It's time to minister to people. You say, well, people are just going to take advantage. Well, you know what? They'll stand and give an account. We're going to stand and give an account of how we ministered. Can you read the hearts and minds of men? Say no. <laughs> but God can. And God knows. So, so we're not called to read the hearts and minds of men, but we are called to put on Christ and let the world see. You know, Matthew 5 tells us that, the, that we're let our light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Number six, church, it's time to submit to the peace of God. And that's a, that's a powerful statement because, because verse 15 says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. So, so this peace of God, you and I have to let it rule in our hearts. Do you see the word let? That's the, the verb. That's the action. You, you have to let it rule. In other words, you have to submit yourself to its rule. There's a lot of Christians that, that, would, have, that would say today, well, I have the peace of God. And my question would be, is it ruling in your life? Because there is a difference. <laughs> you have to let the peace of God rule in your heart and mind. Okay, Philippians 4, verses 6 to 8 says this. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I mean, God just tells us if we pray and we submit ourselves to God's will and, and God's peace, it will keep our heart and mind. There's no Christian that should be losing their heart and mind right now. I'm not saying that that means that you just walk into every place and start licking the hand. Okay, don't be an idiot. And let me just say this. You know, we have people that, that signed up to go to Disciple Comp, and, 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 and for, for various reasons, man, some people aren't comfortable. Some people are recovering from sickness. They're not, listen, that, that has nothing to do with the peace of God ruling in your heart, whether you go or not. The peace of, of God is, is your heart and mind is settled that God's in control. And there's just a peace. And, and, and listen, this should give us the mental victory that we need as Christians. Verse 8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, by the way, the Word of God is true, <clears throat> whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So get off Facebook. <laughs> Limit your mental attention 
to things that aren't those things and focus on the right things. You know, the sad reality, I'm going to say something, it's not to be offensive, but the sad reality is some of us today know more about COVID-19 than we know about God's word this week. And the reason why is because it's consumed everything that we think about. That one hit home, right? Because we're not focused on what God's told us to be focused on. It doesn't matter. COVID-19, COVID-20, COVID-20, it doesn't matter. What matters is Christ. And friends, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And so listen, God's given you tremendous promises. God's given you promises from his word. If the peace of God is not ruling in your heart, it's probably because you're not letting it. So just let it rule. By faith, man, just let it rule. Just settle the issue that the peace of God is going to have priority in my heart and life. Number seven, we need to saturate our heart and minds with the Word of God. We need to saturate our hearts and minds with the Word of God. Verse 16 says this, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. You say, Jay, I know that verse. Give me another one. Okay, well, listen, now more than ever, it is time for the children of God to saturate their hearts and minds with the Word of God, so that we can have the wisdom of God in these last days. And and I do think it's interesting that there will be a season, probably unlike many of us have ever faced, at least for the next few weeks or months, where there's no sports, no public events, no schools, no concerts, no plays, no public gatherings. God has just cleared your calendar. I don't have time to read my Bible. Well, God heard that. And now God's going to test your motive. Do you hear me? So listen, God, God just cleared many of our calendars, not just so that we could sit around and fret and worry and ration our food, but so that we can get His Word. We can let His Word begin to dwell in us richly. And again, man, if you're not taking advantage of the 52 weeks of pursuit or some type of reading plan, well, now's the time. Now's the time. What are you going to? You going to sit at home and watch Netflix all day? I was watching. Uh, I was watching uh, the internet news feeds and stuff, and I was just kind of following the streaming statistics, right? And they're they're basically saying that Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and all the stuff that you have at your house, just like I have. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but 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 they're anticipating that the usage of those services is going to skyrocket because people are just going to be sitting at home and. You know, they assume that Christians aren't actually going to do what God told them to do and read their Bible and minister to their neighbor. And so, uh, you know, if you watch Netflix, I could care less what you do. But the point is, it's time to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. And, and some of you are going to have a pretty free schedule. Now's the time to maybe enroll in LFBI. Now's the time maybe to actually commit to be discipled because you've got time to get discipled. And, and then once you start getting discipled, you realize, you know what, that time was there all along. I just didn't prioritize it. I mean, God can make us grow leaps and bounds spiritually over the next three to six months, the next year, if we take advantage of what God's given us. No excuses. There is no excuse. Number, number eight, let's finish. It's time to sing to the Lord. Colossians tells us, not only should we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, we're to teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns 
and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Uh, I just don't feel like singing, man. It's it's such a bummer kind of tone. Everything that we've said up to this point ought to cause every Christian to, to rejoice. I mean, listen, we ought to rejoice that God is still on the throne. We're to rejoice that his word is true. We're to rejoice of the promises and the opportunities and the fact to live as Christ and to die as gain and, and to be with him is far better. Listen, all of those things are reasons to rejoice and to teach each other and admonish each other through praise and worship. Man, we ought to be singing. You come to Georgia, we're going to sing by the grace of God. We would have sang today, but I kind of went over on time. We still, we still may sing. Last one, now more than ever, we need to serve others. Verse 17, now more than ever, we need to serve others. The Bible says in verse 17, whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. I know that's your last blank, but don't check out on me mentally. Listen, God, Christian, God wants you to do some things right now. During this season of uncertainty, during this crisis, during this calamity, according to the world, you, child of God, God wants you to do some things. He wants you to do what you're supposed to do. Philippians 4, verse 9. The Bible says, those things which you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me. What's the next word? And the God of peace shall be with you. I just want to admonish your church. It is time to do some things. It is not a time to socially isolate and hide yourself and pray your bread lasts longer than the next guy. What needs to be done is the things that you've learned. Have you learned anything at this church? Listen, if you've been discipled at this church, if you've learned how to share the gospel at this church, if you've learned how to minister to people spiritually, the things that you've learned are the things that need to be done. You say, well, I hadn't learned it yet. Well, listen, have you received anything at this church? In other words, has somebody at this church, God used somebody at this church to minister somehow, some way to you? Have you been on the receiving end of God's mercy and grace through this body of believers? And the answer should be yes. And if the answer is yes, whatever you've received... That's something you can do because you've seen it. You, you've experienced it. You've received it. We've heard some things, and we're not talking about gossip. We've heard some things from God's Word. And oh, by the way, we've seen ministry done. We've seen it prayerfully in our pastor. We've seen it in our worship leader. We've seen it in our Sunday school teachers. We've seen other people doing what Christians are just supposed to do. So if we've learned it, if we've received it, if we've heard it, if we've seen it, Friends, it's time to do it. It's time to do it. You say, well, I'm scared. (laughs) Okay, I get it. (laughs) But fear shouldn't be your motivation. Faith should be. Last one, 1 John 4, verse 18. The Bible says there's no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torments. You're seeing that all over the world right now. Man, people are tormented Because they're living in fear. The Bible says there's no fear in love. 
you know, Christ died for our sin. He loved us so much that, that he died for our sin. If we've accepted him, we don't have anything to fear in this life. And listen, if we've accepted his love in our life, we can show that love to other people without fear. <laughs> without fear. Perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Listen, church, it's time to get to work. Amen. I'm just telling you, I don't know what the next days, weeks, months have in store. I really don't. God knows. I'm really not worried about it, quite honestly. The only worry I have is that we as a church respond rightly. And that's not even really a worry because I think we believe that book. And so let's look for opportunities, man. Let's minister to people. Let's minister to our neighbors. Let, let's be a light on a hill. Let's be kingdom-focused. Let's learn to serve our brethren. And let's see God glorified in the midst of this thing. Amen? All right, I'm going to pray, and we'll, we'll just fellowship. Father, we do love you. And uh, God, thank you.